Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Today's guest is on top of all things Philly. He's the co-host of the Sixers Outsiders on NBC Sports Philly, alongside our girl, Crystal Rich, who was somewhere living her best life, not in the United States this week. Enjoy it, though, girl. We are going to get the scoop on the 76ers and the wild ride that they are taking the city on. But ladies first, Darlene, get up. Let's check in. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks is hosted by a former Georgetown Hoyer who likes nothing better than a well-executed fade screen and thinks DC ballers are the smartest. A lover of threes in transition, Monica McNutt. The Philadelphia 76ers were expected to make a run at the NBA Finals this season, but right now, mm, it's looking a little rough up in Philly. It seems like it might be kind of unlikely. Joining us today to help make sense of all the craziness is Tyron Johnson of NBC Sports Philly, among his many titles, but I'll let him share all of those. Um, In addition to Sixers Outsiders, he hosts a radio show in Philly and is a producer as well. He works alongside our girl, Crystal Rich. Ty, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right, so before we jump in on the Sixers um, conversation, we just want you to give the folks your resume because you are a bona fide voice on what's happening in Philly. I I, I appreciate you saying that. Uh, Yes, I co-host Sixers Outsiders on NBC Sports Philadelphia, and I also produce the Mike Missinelli Show, which is on 2 to 6 on 97.5, the Fanatic in Philadelphia, and also simulcasted on NBC Sports Philadelphia. That's Monday through Friday from 2 to 6. So, yeah, got a lot going on. Definitely got a lot going on. We're so thankful for you making time to chop it up with us a little bit today. So let's jump right into it. This team, honestly, Ty, seems to be Jekyll and Hyde. What is going on? Um, I, If I knew, I'd be able to solve it. But I think <laughs> one of the things are their – Coming into the season, the Sixers on paper did look like a contender. But what we probably didn't recognize and anybody didn't fully recognize was that it's a process, literally, even though in Philadelphia that, that word's overused, to get to a championship. And Joel Embiid's 25 right now, Ben Simmons 23, and it seems like they weren't quite ready to lead a team to those heights and Al Horford. I don't know if he's playing hurt. I don't know what it is. His decline, coupled with that, I think caused a lot of the other problems. If Horford was better or if either one of those two guys were a little bit more mature, I think, in life, I think the Sixers would be where they need to be because both of them happen. That's where you get to the situation where you have right now with the Sixers. Well, you know, you mentioned Horford. Uh, this is Bruce. Uh, are the Sixers having second thoughts because – I mean, they gave him like four years over a hundred mil, right? And yeah, um, that that's a pretty big amount of money to swallow. I mean, he's kind of an untradeable guy with that contract, isn't he? He's, yeah, I think he's completely untradeable. 
I don't know if they have remorse yet because the playoffs aren't here yet. I'm sure they're second-guessing a little bit, but if, if Horford is the same Horford he was in Boston in the playoffs, the Sixers and the Sixers fans and the Sixers organization will not have an issue at all. But so far, it does not look good. I believe he's playing with some sort of injury, and he's just not sharing it because that's his style, because I don't think he literally got old overnight. But it's been problematic. And some of this is just as simple as he thought he could cater his game to playing with Joel Embiid, and he simply can't. He does not have it in his bag to do the things that would complement Joel Embiid. And because he's the fourth option, there's no way, there's just no way that the Sixers are going to do things to cater to Al Horford. That doesn't make sense. You don't cater things for fourth options. So that's the, been the biggest issue. If you look at Simmons and Embiid, when Horford's not on the floor, they're just like they've been every other year as far as efficiency. You put Horford in that mix, and it just craters. So I think that there's, they're worried about it. But if he can perform in the playoffs, no one will care. But so far, it doesn't look so good. You mentioned a few minutes ago that uh, you weren't quite certain that we all understood that Joel and Ben weren't maybe ready to be the, the leaders on a team that goes you know deep to the finals. Horford, when they brought him in, I believe they felt that he was that sort of a player in the locker room, in practice, on the floor. But if you're not playing, those qualities don't really get a chance to present themselves, do they? No, you, can, you can't lead unless you're playing well. You can't get on other guys about what they're not doing if you're not doing things well. And that's sort of the issue. He also, while he's a veteran and he's won, meaning gotten to the playoffs, he doesn't have any hardware. He can't show them a ring. No one cares about the back-to-back in Florida. Like in college, that was a really long time ago. They don't care about that. So if he had hardware, maybe he would still be able to get that off. You can't get that off when you've been to the conference finals or you've been to the conference semifinals. Unless you've won a title, you can't really lead unless you're one of the best players, and he just has not been one of the Sixers' best players. All right, Ty. So, golly. I guess for me, this has become a fascinating conversation in the national media, and it seems most folks with high school basketball experience, and even we're hearing it from from some elite analysts, the baseline conversation is whether or not Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons can play together. For someone with your seat and proximity to the squad, is, is that the baseline? Like, is that really how simple it is? No. No, I think it's kind of lazy by the national media who don't watch every single game. So it's something easy to say. But if you look at NBA history, like I, I'm saying I hold Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons to the highest standard possible. To me, that high standard is Jordan and Pippen. I don't think it gets much higher than that. And Shaq and Kobe. Look at the year playing together in which Jordan and Pippen won a title. Look at the year in which Kobe and Shaq won a title. This is their third year together, and they're both hurt right now, but this is their third year together. Jordan and Pippen didn't win a title in their third year together. Shaq and Kobe didn't win a title in their third year together, yet I'm to already decide in the third year that they'll never win. I think that's completely unfair, and that's holding them to the highest of standards. There have been other pairings that took longer, but I'm saying I'm holding them to the highest of the high. So if you want to come back to me at the end of next season, when they have at least had the same amount of time as Shaq and Kobe and Jordan and Pippen had, then I'll say, okay, maybe they can't play together. But to say that two and a half years, they've been saying it all year. To say it two years in, 
when they won 50 games twice and won a playoff game both times and already decided that they can't play together, to me is completely unfair and just factually and historically inaccurate. And I just want to know, from Barkley to Shaq to any of those elite analysts, why should I hold Simmons and Embiid to a higher standard than Michael Jordan, a higher standard than the late great Kobe Bryant? Like, why am I holding them to a higher standard? I want to hold them to the same exact standard, and that means I don't make any determination on whether or not on their long-term future until I give them a full four years together because, to me, that's fair. To do it already before the end of year three, to me, is way premature, and it's, it's uh, to me, a symptom of the hot-take society that, that we now live in because people have to fill time every single day. And I know producing and hosting a show every single day that it's hard to fill time. So that's something they can go back to after every Sixers loss. Can those guys play together? But it's just not fair, and you can't judge things game by game. You have to judge it year by year. And I just think it's way too soon to decide that. And I hate that this keeps being a thing because it's, it's just not fair yet. It's not fair yet. Well, let them know, Ty. I appreciate the passion and conviction on that answer. Right, Bruce? Uh, yeah, that is – that is spoken like a man who's seeing this thing on multiple levels as opposed to the superficial level that people who don't watch the games or know the people involved would look at it. And again, at next year, by all means, but I, I just, I'm just asking. Like, no, they say that Joel Embiid, I just can't hold them to a higher standard than Jordan and Pippen. Like, Jordan is supposed to be the gold standard, right? And, and Shaq and Kobe, if they're, if they're, if they're one – they're 1A as far as duos that we talk about, legendary duos. If it took those guys four years, why is it unfair for me to say, give Simmons and Embiid four years. Give them the same time as those great, great, great duos. And I'm not suggesting that those guys are as great as those guys. I'm saying that if you don't at least give them that much time, you're being unfair. That doesn't mean you don't criticize them game to game. That doesn't mean that they don't deserve any criticism that you or anybody else may have. But to suggest to break them up, already when they didn't break imagine if they had broken up Pippen and Jordan the first time they lost to the Pistons they end up losing the Pistons twice by the way the first time you go you know what these guys can't play together maybe Jordan doesn't have six rings imagine if they broke up Shaq and Kobe when they were losing to the Spurs in the playoffs early before they got Phil Jackson because imagine if that had happened like look at how the landscape of the NBA is different if they had jumped the gun and broke those guys up after year two or after year three, the entire history is, is completely different. So I just think it's unfair for that reason. That doesn't mean that Joel B doesn't need to be in better shape, that Ben Simmons doesn't need to shoot. All of those things are fair, but to break them up, it's just, to me, it's just crazy talk. Well, you know, you just touched on something that I was actually going to ask you about, and that is, okay, with, with, with Joel and with Ben, sometimes, again, this is a person looking at it somewhat from a distance, okay? So I'll admit mm -hmm. to that up front. But when I look at, say, Ben, who has a pretty high-profile social life, let's say, and Joel, who's one of the really uh, appealing characters, in addition to being a great player, as far as all of his social media and all that stuff, is it fair to ask if somebody like Ben... And forget about his three-point shooting for now, okay? I'm, I'm not even going to ask you about that. But for something like free throws, it seems to me that that's an area that that he could be much better in. And as a point guard, you got to be able to make free throws. Otherwise, you're going to possibly cost yourself, you know, 
perhaps games in the playoffs. Is is it fair to say that they sometimes appear like they're more into being basketball celebrities than taking care of their business? I mean, that's, that's completely fair. Again, any criticism, honestly, outside of trade, one of them, to me is fair. Um, ben Simmons, now before the injury, I, I will know he had been shooting much better in the last month. If you look at the, the games before the All-Star break and then right, right before the All-Star break, but the month before that, he had raised his free throw percentage from somewhere in the mid-50s up above 60 or close to 60. He had been moving in the right direction. That's completely fair. But Jordan had sneakers before he had a title. Like Jordan had sneakers before he had a title. He had a ton of commercials before he had a title. It's If companies are coming to give you money, and no matter how long your career may be, it's a finite amount of time. I can't knock them for taking that money because I didn't knock that there was – the Jordan 1s didn't come out after he won the title. The Jordan 1s were already out. Like you get your sneaker deal, you get your money a lot of times in endorsements before you necessarily earn it with a title. So I think that's fair to say, but I don't think they're into it more than Dan Lillard, who has a rap album and everything else. Does he have any hardware? Dane Lillard, does he have any rings? Like, he does a little, has a rap album, a shoe. He was, he was on the show Portlandia for multiple episodes before that show went off the air. No one says that about him. So I think, I don't think they do it any more than every other NBA player. And since only one team wins every year, and it was Golden State a bunch of times, the Raptors come in, I, I don't think they're about it any more than anybody else, if that makes sense. So, but, okay, so Ty, I think those were actually very thought-provoking examples. However, do those folks have the same expectations that we have from Philly? As a team, but see, their fault isn't that the expectations aren't there. They can't say, okay, I can't do this Mountain Dew commercial because people think we're going to win a title. If somebody offers the money, you take the money. I think that the expectations are good for them because these guys, I still think, have to grow up. I, I've, I've said that right in the beginning. I don't think either one of them are yet mature enough as human beings to lead a team to where they need to go. So the pressure and all the negativity, I think, will help them grow. Adversity, I think, um, reveals character. And I think you'll find out whether or not these guys are the guys going forward. So all of that criticism, again, is fair. And anybody, if you want to say that that's part of the problem, I won't fight you on any of it. I'm just saying Dame Lillard is on a bunch of commercials, has the rap album, and people expect him to be all NBA, and Portland's probably going to miss the playoffs. For example, the Sixers, as bad as it is, they're still a solid playoff team despite all the injuries, and these guys still have a lot more basketball, I think, in front of them. So all the criticism is fair, every bit of it short of trading them, but I just don't think they're doing it in a way that's different than other players. There just happens to be more attention being paid to them right now. Fair or unfairly. Okay. I, okay, so I, that makes sense. I can I can follow you on that. I can get down with that logic. Now, speaking of the expectations, a lot of them stemmed around the guys that you mentioned, Ben and Joel. Right now, we got health issues. Um, yeah. But you see a guy like Shake Milton, who's sort of, I don't want to say he's evolving in their absence, but the ball has to get past the different folks. You got to go with who's on the floor. Is there a silver lining to their absence? And then what are you hearing in terms of their return? Uh, B should be back right after the West Coast trip, so he should play on March 11th. He should be fine with the shoulder. He should be. Now, Ben Simmons is a little bit more concerning 
because of his age, um, with with the back injury, they think that the uh, the shot that he had should calm everything down. And in the next, sometime next week, they'll give a, a okay on when he will be back. I believe in total. So you go back to the Bucks game when he sort of re-aggravated it. I believe it's going to be a four or five week injury in total. So that means you go back to the Bucks game. He's out for another three or four weeks, most likely, and I think he'll be back. I think I think Joel Embiid is back next week. The problem is if he's back in four or five weeks, they only get about nine, ten games together with the new guys in Burks and Robinson to try to get everything together to get into the playoffs and have some form of chemistry. So I think that's problematic. But I think both of them will play again this season, and I think Joel Embiid will be back next week. All right, so then in their absence, what do you see – and I know chemistry, to your point, is going to be – a concern when everybody's back on the floor, but who is who has the opportunity to grow the most in this absence? Um, well, one Joel Embiid as a number one, number one, unquestioned number one option, something that he has not really had since his rookie year when Ben Simmons was his rookie year. I'm saying after he had the two injuries, you know, that particular year was the last time where it was his ball 100 percent of the time. I'm interested in seeing how he does that over an extended stretch of a few weeks. I was looking forward to this before the shoulder thing happened. He looked like he was kind of enjoying that that role and doing better getting out of the double team because one of the main things is he's going to be double teamed a lot. He's one of the few big men left in this league who you have to double team over and over again. Him having a lot of experience, having to pass out of those. So that one, big. Shake Milton's another one because he'll continue to start. Um, every team, whether it's Draymond Green, every team that ends up winning has a player who – wasn't slated to help them who ended up helping them. You go back throughout any of these, any of those championship squads, there's guys who weren't necessarily pegged to be the guys who ended up helping them. Obviously, Shaq and Kobe, you look at those teams. Fisher was a first-round pick, but where he was picked, he wasn't supposed to have the impact that he had, for example. There's always guys that end up helping. I think Shaq Milton has a shot. When you draft a guy in the 50s in the, overall, most of those guys don't stick in the league. I think he has a real shot to stick in the league. The fact that they gave him another contract before this season, I think he has a real opportunity to grow. And the opportunity remains for Tobias Harris. Part of the reason that the Sixers gave him the $180 million contract is the thinking was he was an ascending player. If you look at his stats, they're basically exactly the same as his career averages. The Sixers paid for a little bit more. There are still opportunities there for him, not saying that he'll take advantage of them, but there's still a big opportunity for him to take charge of the situation and be show that he can be the guy, that opportunity is there for him, or can be a go-to guy in this league late in games. He's going to have several more weeks of an opportunity to show. He did not show it so well last night, or the previous night against the Lakers in the previous game. So hopefully that'll happen. But those are the three guys. And B, getting the ball basically every possession. Shake Milton being able to show he belongs in this league. And Tobias Harris, he was paid to be a finisher, and he has not been a finisher, but he's going to have several more weeks to show that he can be a finisher. Tobias is one of my favorite human beings in the NBA. He's just one of the great, Good great guy. people. Oh, unbelievable. And he's shown a ton of leadership off the court as far as what he's done in the various communities from the different cities that he's played in. So I think leadership is definitely in that guy's DNA. But I think, you know, you made a really good point about him in that, you know, his stats are kind of where they always were. So maybe maybe it's his opportunity to step up a little bit as well. But another guy I wanted to ask you about 
uh, because also there is some health issues there. What's the story with Josh Richardson? I know he had a concussion that he suffered recently, and certainly not being available on this road trip right now is 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 not helping at all. What's uh, what's his prognosis for returning? He could be back as soon as the end of this West Coast trip. He's able to do a full workout, but concussions are what they are, and that they don't rush concussions anymore. Once you're in that protocol, it sort of is what it is. Um, they think he could play as soon as Saturday as far as if he was able to pass the uh, the protocol against uh, Golden State. That's not ruled out. But he definitely, unless this concussion was something that, and you don't rush them, something they didn't think about, he would also return on March 11th when Joel Embiid returns. That's sort of a worst-case scenario. Best case would be the game before Saturday against the Warriors. The, apparently the nose is okay. There was a little bit of swelling, but nothing a player couldn't play with in the NBA. But the concussion just is what it is. And the Sixers medical staff, has always signed on caution with any injury, and this concussion is no different. I believe there are certain teams that would have put him out there last night because they not every team follows the concussion protocol to the letter the way that the Sixers do. So we haven't mentioned the head coach, Brett Brown, who by all accounts is one of the great, great guys in the league, and he's also a terrific coach, and I've had some minor dealings with him over the years, and he's just a, a really good dude. Um is he feeling heat there, or are the fans and the organization kind of understanding of the position that he's in? I mean, he's feeling heat. I mean, no one's going to be wanting to fire him because you lose to the Clippers or the Lakers on the road without three of your top four players. Like, nobody's going that crazy. But his playoff, I think that how the team performs in the playoffs will decide his job future. And it may be unfair. It just is what it is. Doug Collins, like, this is a thing that is tough. There's a reason that Doug Collins was Michael Jordan's coach. And because again, I, and the reason I bring these examples up is because, again, I hold these guys to the highest of standards. I'm not holding them to a standard of just a mediocre player. I'm holding them to the highest standard that this league has ever seen. There's a reason that Doug Collins got the, the Bulls to a certain level and then Phil Jackson finished the job. There's a reason that Dell Harris and Kurt Rambis and all these other guys are coaching the Lakers, and then here comes Phil Jackson. There, it, it just happens like that too often. Uh, Rudy Tom Jonathan with Houston, like you name it. You could uh, Mark Jackson with the Warriors, and you switch over to Kerr. Many times the developmental coach is not your winning coach, and that's the question that people are asking. No one dislikes Brett Brown personally. The question is, he was, is he a developmental coach who can take it all the way, or do the Sixers need to make a change in order to win, like all those examples I just named where – there was another guy who kind of developed the guys to get them to a certain level, but he wasn't the coach that could win. And that's going to be the biggest question. So how this team performs in the playoffs, and I believe because after they get through this West Coast trip and get some guys back, the Sixers had literally the easiest schedule in the NBA the rest of the way. They still have a decent shot for the four-seed home court advantage in the first round. They play Miami. That means you play the Bucks in the second round. They lose. They get swept. They lose in five. Brett Brown's probably out of a job. That's kind of what it's going to come down to, unfortunately, friend. Man, that is such a great point on how the on how I can I speak English. <laughs> the developmental coaches take it to one level, and then somebody else gets to carry it the rest of the way. So you mentioned the playoffs, Ty, and right now I think you said that y'all would run into Miami potentially. But who do you see as the best matchup for the Sixers to move forward? In the first round, I actually do think it's Miami because. Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo aside, I don't trust any other, and partially because of his age, uh, Vigadala. 
I don't trust any other Miami player right now, a lot of young guys who play none, to hero, Duncan Robinson. I don't think any of those guys can play playoff defense. Regular season is completely different. I trust that the Sixers guys, even Al Horford, can play playoff defense because they are not the same. Miami, in a playoff situation, is a good matchup for the Sixers. Boston's a tough matchup. Toronto's a tough matchup. The Bucks are a tough matchup. Those are tough, but for me, the best matchup in a playoff situation in a seven-game series is Miami just because I don't trust all of those guys to bear down on defense in a half-court game enough to actually beat this Sixers team because the Sixers' offense is not a machine when they're playing all these guys. It hasn't been great, but their defense has been pretty solid throughout the year. Miami's the best matchup in a playoff situation. Boston is the, you know, in some ways, Boston's a better matchup than Toronto because I don't know if a six-foot guard as your lead guard can win in this league anymore. And you've seen the Celtics' recent success without Kemba Walker with Tatum having the ball. The ball's going to go back to Kemba, and I think that's problematic for the Celtics, and that helps them against the Sixers because they're so long. And then the worst matchup, Toronto, follow, or the Bucks. obviously, they're a bad matchup for everybody, followed by Toronto. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna see. I know everybody that keeps hollering, Ben and Joel need to be broken up. Y'all need to relax and watch basketball a little bit more closely. All right, Ty, I definitely want to honor your time with us today, but I do want to open this up to the broader conversation of the NBA this season. Um, we everybody's got their eyes on the playoffs, and lately the conversation is whether or not the Bucks are actually the real deal or the favorite coming out of the East. Where are you on that? Well, they're clearly the favorite to me coming out of the East, but. I will say, I do wonder about the defense that that squad's going to play in the playoffs. One, this is what's a little bit different. Remember when, you guys obviously remember, but when the Warriors had the big championship, when they won the 70-some games and they set the record, they ended up losing in the finals, they had already won a title at that point. So in addition to the great regular season success, they had a playoff pedigree. This Bucks team has no playoff pedigree yet. So while they're clearly the favorites and they're on pace to win 70 games and they look great and Giannis has been a machine, I do wonder, because they haven't done it in the playoffs, they have a 2-0 lead against the uh, Raptors last year, lose four straight. The Sixers gave the Raptors a tougher time than either the Raptors or the Warriors ended up doing Warriors with all the injuries, obviously. I do have some questions about them in the playoffs just because they haven't done it. But to me, they're head and shoulders above everybody in the East I do think there's teams in the West that can challenge them, though. I do. I think the Clippers, personally, and the Lakers, both could beat the Bucks in a playoff series. The Clippers especially, because I think they're the most playoff-built team left in the NBA. Ty, I knew I liked you, because I agree with everything you just said. Bruce is on the Lakers, but we're not going to talk about that right now. <laughs> hey, I was on the, the Sixers, Lakers, but- too. I predicted Sixers-Lakers in the finals, so, you know, there's yeah, that. so did I. Yeah. Did you really die? But the Clippers, but you add Morris. No, you add Morris. I didn't know they were going to add Morris. That, that, to me, makes a big difference. There's no hiding spot. You see, against the Bucks, because Lopez, for example, just stands at the three-point line, there's a place to hide your worst defender when you play the Bucks, so you can put more pressure on Giannis. Same thing with the Lakers. They don't challenge you all five guys all the time. I believe Kuzma open all day in a playoff series. Good luck beating me with that guy having to take most of your shots. And I turn more towards LeBron and AD. 
the Clippers, there's no place to hide. I agree with you on that, but I, the one thing that does concern me with the Clips just a little bit, and I love the addition of Morris for this reason, is as much as I love Montrez Harrell, size. Like, I'm, I get a little bit nervous when we look at that back line of the Clippers, but to me, the intensity with which they defend as a unit, I think can compensate for all of that. But I do get a little bit nervous about their size on the back line. I completely agree with that. And, and that's something to be said. And that's part of the reason why when Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons were healthy right before the All-Star break, they beat the Clippers because they don't have anyone that can guard Embiid. The thing is, they do have someone who can guard Davis because while Davis is a big, he doesn't play like a big. I'm saying for the Lakers example, really how many teams can really make them pay in the playoffs about being small? Sixers are one of the only one of the rare few because if you play Denver, you have another big who doesn't play like a big. He's bringing the ball up. He doesn't ever post up. So part of that reason that I like them is I don't know how many teams can truly exploit the Clippers' current weakness, which I do think size is a weakness, but the Sixers aren't making the finals most likely, so Clippers will be all right. All right, Ty, so we got to get you out of here, but this is really quickly how we end the podcast. It is called Buckets, right. Board, and Blocks. So you, my friend, get to just pick one. It can be related to the NBA as a whole. It can be related to the Sixers and the narratives floating around about them. But let me explain to you what they are. You can give me, A, your bucket, which is the thing that you love and you want more of. Give me all of these buckets. You can give me your board, which is like a rebound. Maybe not so fantastic, but it has some silver lining and a redeeming quality about this thing. Or you can give me a block. The thing that you want to see get blocked out of the game, into the stands, no more of this. I'm going to give you a block. All right, what you got? The block I want to give is specifically the TNT program talking about teams like they know what they're talking about all the time. Oh, wow, Ty. Now, I don't want to speak for you guys in any way. This is completely me speaking. I don't think they watch more basketball than the average fan about their specific teams, yet they speak from this place of superiority about as if they studied tape and watched every single one of their games when they make their prognostications. Stop doing it. ESPN does not do that. They don't do that level of pretending. For example, I'm tired of mainly Shaq and Barkley, who are very entertaining, but Kenny's the only one there who watches games. I'm convinced of it. Stop acting like you watch every game and you know just analyze what you see. Do not come in with a narrative before the game that they decided, and then tell us what's what. That is what I would like to block. Ty with the emphatic block. Wow, Ty, I like that one. That was good. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just tired of it. I apologize. <laughs> I, I want to give you, like, the Matumbo finger on that one, man. That was, like, that was straight out of the Matumbo playbook right there. I mean, just don't watch. Don't pretend that you watch. I know you didn't watch. Just watch the game and tell me what you saw. Don't come in saying, see, I told you Joel Embiid wasn't going to post up, and you picked the one time he didn't for it. I'm just tired of it. Oh, see, this uh, – yeah, I'm just tired of it. Watch the game. Tell us what you see because you know more basketball than me, but you don't know more about my team because you don't watch my team. Tell them why you mad, son. Well, Tyrone Johnson of all things Sixers basketball, Philly outsiders on NBC Sports Washington, radio shows, content creating, all that good stuff. Thank you so much for making time for us today. Thanks for having me. Full stop. Man, Bruce, Ty Johnson was fantastic. Y'all got to follow him on social. And if you're in Philly, definitely check him out alongside our girl, Crystal Rich, with Philly Outsiders. 
But before we wrap this edition of BBB Pod, we got to do a quick round of knockout, Bruce. Uh, Boston, what's going on with your C's? They, yeah, they've been knocking themselves out lately. I mean, they blew 17-point lead on Saturday at home against Houston, blew a 21-point lead on uh, Tuesday against the Nets, and they watched Karis LeVert just go all like, I don't know, you know, James Harden on him or something. 51. 51, but, but wait a minute. In the fourth quarter in overtime, 37 for him. 37 points in 17 minutes, and it was like he was just the, – the, the basket looked like it was about three feet wide. Every time he shot it, it just was – it was going in. And then at the end of the game, it was a little bit of a sketchy call, but one of the things we've always given Boston credit for is being a very high IQ team. But at the end of regulation last night, they made a very unceltic like mental error, put Lavert on the line for three shots, tied the game, and then in overtime, they lost. And Marcus Smart went a little bit nuts on the reps after the game. We'll see if uh, Kiki Vandeweghe is going to be handing down any punishment for that one. It's definitely, yeah, it's definitely costing him some money. I would say, how much you think minimum, Monica? Like thirty-five grand minimum, maybe more. Thirty-five. I was at twenty-five. All right. He didn't well, actually put his hands on the ref or anything. He kind of yeah. walked off of it. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, it was a it was a sketchy call, but you know what? If you're Boston, just shut up. You blew a 21-point lead. You gave up 51 points in the fourth quarter. Did you hear that? 51 in the fourth quarter they gave up, okay? So please don't complain about the refs. You blew it. How about this fella down in New Orleans, Monica? You got something you want to say about him, don't you? All right, so Zion Williamson, first of all, he's 19. I need us to let that sink in. He's 19. I have to give him his credit and take this moment in this round of knockout to say I'm flat out impressed. I am glad to see that he has lived up to the hype, that he has handled it so well. He comes in as rookie of the week. Or excuse me, West, yeah, Western Conference rookie of the month of February. He averaged 25.7 points per game on 56% shooting and 6.2 rebounds and a steal, just for good measure. Um, I'm so impressed with his quick burst on his second jump in particular. The other day when they were playing the Lakers and he low-key threw Dwight Howard out the way like it wasn't no thing, I was like, ooh, ooh, So I just, this is dope. I I don't want to be a prognosticator. Uh, to Ty's point, I have not watched him enough diligently as an NBA player. I hope that he can maintain it. I hope that he has tremendous people around him in terms of taking care of his body. Um, but right now, it's certainly fun to watch. And I think if the Pelicans can stay healthy, um, they're definitely fighting for a spot in the playoffs this year. But the future, just in terms of the next couple seasons, is bright with those guys. I'll tell you what. I mean, considering how they were sort of forced to trade Anthony Davis, who's, you know, the Greatest player in that franchise's history. I don't even really think it's close. Look at what they've turned it into. They turned it into Brandon Ingram, all-star guy. Uh, Lonzo Ball, much improved. I think you have to give Alvin Gentry a lot of credit here. He's really been the right guy to coach that team. He's really, you know, it's funny. Ty was talking about developmental coaches versus championship winning coaches. Alvin Gentry has kind of done both. So, you know what? He might be that rare combination of the the one guy who encompasses all all of those coaching skills. So, 
bravo to to the to Zion and his crew down there. I would love to see it. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Big big Philly thanks to Tyrone Johnson showing some brotherly love today. Tyrone Johnson of NBC Sports Philly that is um dropping knowledge helping us navigate the craziness in Philly. Hopefully the Sixers can get a win on the road. They have Sacramento and Golden State to finish their West Coast trip, so they have a shot. And then, of course, they'll welcome Joel and be back. Um, thanks, as always, to our tremendous producer and loyal sidekick, Bruce Bernstein. I think I'm just going to change his name to co-host at some point. But anyway, uh, also, we got to give a shout-out of thanks and gratitude to our editor, Ben Wolfen, who puts this whole thing together. Please listen to all of our Pure Hoops media shows. We drop five fresh shows every week. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Otto Strong and Aaron Berlin drops every Wednesday. Fridays, we have the Pure Hoops Pod with DJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. On Monday, we've got new episodes of the Mike Wise Show. And each Tuesday, our newest show, Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams comes your way. They had ESPN bracketologist Joe Lenardi on this week, and it ha- he has great info from the bracket for all you folks that are going to attempt to do a bracket in this year of craziness in college basketball. Please be sure to listen and rate all of our shows. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back with a fresh show next Thursday. But until then, enjoy your hoops. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt has been a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. 